time, Apollo 13. So we'll be uh, diving into that next week. I'm going to share, I'm gonna, are you, how many want to play a little game right now? And some of you are like, what? what, what are you talking about, like charades? No. If you have been, a, I've, I've tested a few people in the last few days, some people that were with me yesterday when we went to um, a church in Petersburg, Michigan. Um, so please don't answer this question, but if you haven't seen this yet, I'm going to put something on the screen here, and I want you to think about the names you're going to see. So there's two slides. Just put the first one. I want you to think about these names. I'm going to do my best to read them, which is going to be hard, but I want you to see if anybody in this room knows who these people are in the Bible. We have Shemua, Shaphat, Egal, Palti, Gadil, Gadi, Amil, Sether, Nabi, and Gil. <laughs> However, that sounds like someone from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Anybody in this room who hasn't heard this before know who those people are? Vincent, you know who they are? <laughs> he does, but he just doesn't want to show off. Yeah, yeah. All right. These, you do know? Oh, I think you did. I might have told you, didn't I? Yeah, that's right. I did. I don't more than Mary. These 10 individuals. Now, if I show you two more names, I think you all know who I'm talking about. Go to the next slide. Now, do you know who these individuals are? Yes. Who, who are they? They are the spies, aren't they? You remember when Moses sent the spies out? Now, I, I like to think about that story of of uh, being a very successful story for Joshua and Caleb. But you got to realize that these 12 spies, these other 10 individuals, that their names are very unfamiliar to us. They're harder to pronounce than Joshua and Caleb. But they're a footnote in history. And what I think is interesting about this, you got to realize that God spoke to Moses, right? Moses selected these 12 individuals out of a few million people. So these other 10 were obviously very influential. They were very respected. They were, they were people that were probably highly regarded as leaders. However, they lacked something called faith. And they saw the problem. And Houston, we have a problem. And they saw the situation. So unfortunately, these 10 became a footnote in history. And today, we don't know who they are, do we? I mean, not one person that I've asked has known who these 10 are. Somebody asked me this question at, and, and when I was away, and that's how this started. They're like, do you know who these 10 are? And, and I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> you know? um, but here they are as part of the 12 spies. Joshua and Caleb, of course, went into the promised land. They said, yeah, there's, there's giants in the land. There's, there's fortified walls. But God is a mighty God, amen. They said, that we can go into this land and God's going to make a way. The grapes are so huge. We all probably know the story if you've been uh, in church long enough. But the fact is, we do not want to be like the 10. Amen. I do not want us, me, you, or our church to be a footnote in the history of what God is doing on the earth. Amen. I want to be a Joshua or a Caleb church, a Joshua or a Caleb generation, that although we might not have 100,000 people or 10,000 people or whatever, we can make a mark in our culture, in our families, and in our circles of influence. Amen? I do not want to be a footnote in history. The Bible says that when we go to heaven that we will each stand before God and give a, an account of what we did with our lives and what we did for God. I do not want to go to God and be a footnote. And just be like, well, I went, I went to church once in a while, and I, and, I, and I went. I went. 
I want to be able to, all of us, look before God and say, God, I did everything I could. I, I made mistakes. But, God, I, I wanted you to know that I loved you every day, and I did my best to serve you. Amen? And I try to walk in faith, and I try to live in faith. And I want to be like a Joshua and a Caleb who, who saw obstacles, but they said, that's okay. My God is greater than any obstacle. Houston, we have a problem, but we also have we also have a spirit that is more powerful than any spirit on the earth, and that is the spirit of the living God. Amen? Amen. All right. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's all for next week. Let's get back to the book of Jonah. How's that? The story of Jonah. All right. Lord, I pray you would bless the word today. We've come here with, with expectations. We've come here with things on our mind, things on our plate, things this week that we have to face. But, Lord, right now, feed us, fill us. Let there be an overflow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You know, we've been in this study. This will be the last week of talking about make me. Lord, make me something that you want me to be. Jonah is an incredible story. We're going to finish it off today. But Jonah is an incredible story of God's mercy. Right? God's mercy is on full display a God using a man, even in the act of rebellion and disobedience, God still uses Jonah to do God's work. Because God had a mission in mind that that was the people of Nineveh. Amen? It's a, it's a, I like to say it's a tremendous story that teaches us something today. Aren't you thankful that we have a Bible that we can still say, this actually can be used in my day-to-day life. That even though sometimes we are rebellious and we are disobedient, aren't you thankful that we serve a God that still will use us and guide us and forgive us? So Jonah gets a word from the Lord and he's probably, I have a few maps. How many like maps? Amen. I, 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 like, I like Genesis 1 all the way to the book of maps. <laughs> I like maps. So if you like maps, well, I'm going to give you a map today, give you a little bit of an understanding. Okay, Joppa is where Jonah is. That's really just south of Tel Aviv. If you know about Tel Aviv, it's modern day. It's called uh, Jaffa is what it is. Um, so Think about how far, 2,500 miles is almost like going to California, okay? It's, it's a long distance away. Nineveh, obviously, what? A lot closer. Um, Nineveh is modern day, that's Iraq, or um, Mosul, Mosul, however you want to say, M-O-S-U-L. It's controlled by ISIS. Uh, so what you're looking at right there is Iraq, where Nineveh is, uh, Israel, and Joppa is in the area of Tel Aviv, Jerusalem is just to the right of, of that red dot over Joppa. Okay, so you have the, uh, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. So Jonah, God calls him to go to Nineveh, but instead he buys a ticket, a fare. He's deliberate in his disobedience. He buys a ticket to go to Tarshish, which at that time was as far west as you could go before crossing the Atlantic Ocean to the Americas, which at that time were, uh, you know, we don't know a lot about them at that time. So we understand that that is a long way. That is the Mediterranean Sea. I want to give you a little idea. I got, I think, one more slide, one more picture. Okay, here we go. This is a modern-day map for you. And, of course, if you see Jordan, for, if you understand, there's Jordan. There's the Dead Sea right left of the word Jordan. The Sea of Galilee is there at the north end of Israel. But 
he needs to go from the Mediterranean Sea to Nineveh, province of Nineveh. And that is the modern-day map of what used to be the area known as Nineveh. So I want you to get that picture. How many see that Nineveh, first of all, is a big area? Okay, it's a large territory. We're not talking about he just had to go into, you know, uh, the city of Clarkston, <laughs> which would be hard enough, but he had to go into a large area and spread this gospel message to barbarians. Sorry about that. That's, I keep covering my mic. These people are barbarians. I believe that is the last map that I have. All right. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. This population, 600,000 around that, uh, around that size. And, and it's described as a very uh, powerful, it even says a great city. But within this great city, great meaning it had a lot of, uh, uh, of beauty, it had a lot of wealth, it had a lot of power. But within this city was a barbarian kind of mindset. They would do terrible things uh, to, to Christians, to Jews, and these are Gentiles here. And so the Gentiles and the Jews did not get along. Let's, let's put this into 2019. You wake up tomorrow do you get a text message on your phone and it's from God? That would be, wouldn't that be kind of cool to be able just to text God? Wouldn't that be really awesome? I mean, I would probably bug him all the time. How about you? <laughs> I need you. I need you, please, right now. But, but you get this message and it's like, I want you to go to Iran and I want you to go right there to the capital city of Iran uh, and, and matter of fact, I would like you to go to find ISIS, and I want you to go tell them that if they don't turn to God, they're all going to die. How many think that you might not make it back home on that trip? I would be like, say what? Can you ask someone else to do that? And so God is literally asking Jonah to go to those kind of people, like a terrorist organization, barbarians. And I want us to understand the full measure of this whole story. God's intention was, yes, to save the people of Nineveh, but it was also to change a man by the name of Jonah, who was called as a prophet. God wanted to make him something. See, God already knew his potential, but God said, not only do I want to save the people, I want to change a person. So God, in, in his intention is to use us in life to reach people, to make a difference, to not be a footnote. But God also wants to change us on a personal level. How I many know God sent his only son to die? If you were the only person on the earth, he would have still sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you. That's how much he loves you. So here we have Jonah, and here we have this whole picture, this whole story, this thing that's been transpiring as we talked about last week, some of the issues that he was faced. And, and this idea that Jonah was about to embark on this trip probably terrified him. So what happened is, as we know, instead of obeying God, instead of obeying God, as many times we understand God gives us instructions. They're very clear. They're very evident. And God, instead of obeying God, Jonah gets in the boat, and he's intentional. And he, and he goes the opposite direction of Nineveh to Tarshish. And he was supposed to, as you saw on the map, he was supposed to go about a 500-mile journey, which is no small feat back then. He's supposed to go 500 miles. Actually, me and Heather are going to drive about 500 miles today in about an hour and a half. Aren't you excited about that, Heather? 
<laughs> She's like, I get to hear another sermon. <laughs> but we get to do that in a car with air conditioning, with worship songs, with coffee cups. And, 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 and we get to be there in like nine hours, right? Jonah, 500 miles is a long way. There was no rest areas. There was, you know, there was no coffee, Tim Hortons, Starbucks, you name it. Uh, but 2,500 miles, church. Come on, how obvious is it that he was very disobedient? And many times when God asks us to do some things, how many know sometimes we, we find it, we, we, we make excuses. And I said last week that sometimes instead of saying, God, I'm not going to disobey God, but we what? We delay the disobedience. We say, God, I, I'm not yet. God says, I want you to do this now. And it's easy to say, Lord, I will do that someday. That's called a delayed response or a delayed disobedience. I said, when my mom, when I was a kid, my dad would say, go clean your room. Many times I'd say, what? I'll get to it. How many of you know that didn't fly over always really good? And I got the countdown, right? You got three seconds to get up to your room. One, don't make me say two, three. That's called delayed obedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. When God asks us to do something and we say, God, I'm not, I'm, I'll change someday. Someday I'll get involved. Someday I'll serve. Someday I'll give. That's called delayed disobedience. And so Jonah, in a sense, is saying, eh, not yet. I need to go on this boat ride. So he's being disobedient. I want to begin reading uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Last week we just did two verses. We're going to read the first two, but then we're going to move into the rest of the story. Paul Harvey is not preaching, but it sounds like him. The rest of the story, church. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Remember? How many remember what the name Jonah means? Dove, right? The name Jonah means dove, and the name Amittai, his father, means truth. Thank you. Very good. So birds have a tendency when there's a storm to flee from the storm. They seek shelter. Jonah, meaning dove, there's a storm, meaning there's a situation where God's calling him, and he flees, he runs. But his father, whose name means truth, said, arise, I mean, God said to Jonah, not the father, God the father said to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. Announce judgment. How many know that's a very unpopular job? <laughs> I do not like being the person that gives bad news. Some people are really good at it, and some people are really bad at it too, right? You know what I mean? Some people just like want to straight shoot and just say, here's the bad news, you're fired. I enjoy when people kind of uh, uh, um, soften it up a little bit. But Jonah doesn't have that option. Verse 3, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. He's deliberate. He's making this decision. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down to it, into it, got to, uh, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so Tarshish, as we know, is the opposite way of Nineveh. God commands Jonah to go to the people with this repentance message. And Jonah says, uh, I'm sorry. I'm not going. <laughs> so what we see on full display here is disobedience. And even some degree delayed disobedience. So 
He's intentional about paying the fare. Church, can we agree that we need to be intentional with our lives? Every day, we need to be intentional. I need to be intentional about loving my wife. I was hoping I'd get an amen right there, and I got one. Hallelujah. If I would have gotten an amen from someone else, I would have been like, James, you're not supposed to amen right there. That's my wife. I'm just playing. But I need to be intentional. I, I would like to say she just knows I love her. I can just, right, every day, every day. But how many of she needs, sometimes it's nice to hear a thing. Come on, somebody. It, it's nice to hear. So I need to be intentional about what I do. I need to be intentional when I'm at the store to be nice to people. Yes, we are nice in nature, but sometimes we have to be intentional about what we do. So he's intentionally, though, doing the opposite thing. He's buying a ticket to say no to God. And I believe sometimes people can also be intentional in their decision to not fully give God their whole life. God, I'm not sure I want to buy into this whole Christian thing. I'm not sure I want to do it so we can be intentional the other ways. So he gets on the boat. God gives him a word, preached the message. He's on the boat. He did the total opposite. But isn't it interesting that God let him do it? God allowed him to do it. You know, I think... I think about leaving the presence of God. Jonah leaving the presence of God. He gives him the message. Now he's, he's running away from God. I can't help but think about the story of Ruth and Naomi. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, Ruth and Naomi. You remember the story? They were in Bethlehem, right? The word Bethlehem. Bethlehem is how you say it in Hebrew. Bethlehem. And so the word Bethlehem means house of bread or house of the word. How many know that Jesus was the word? Amen. And the word became flesh. He's also what? The bread of life. The word Bethlehem meant bread, house of bread. Bethlehem was in Judah. All the Bible scholars know what Judah means. Amen. It means what? Praise. All right. Praise. We had praise today. Judah means praise. Ruth and Naomi and their family left Bethlehem Judah, they left the word, they left the praise, and they went to a place called Moab. Moab means idol. Many times I believe that in our life, it's very easy. God's asking us to do something, but in disobedience, we leave the praise, we leave the word, and we go towards idols in life. And people will live their whole life pursuing a, a, a certain destination that maybe God did not call them to go to, whether that is a career, whether that is a, a how they look, and they try to find happiness in that idol. And what happened in that story, you remember, Amalek and the other boys, they, they died. And, and, and in the land of Moab, everything dried up, and there was a famine. How many know when we leave the word and we leave the praise, things in our life will dry up? And we will experience spiritual famine. And I believe that the church in America, we have not done a good enough job. If you're from the silent generation, also known as the greatest generation, thank you, Tom Brokaw. Uh, if you're a, a baby boomer, if you're a, a, a Gen Xer like me, or a millennial, or a Gen Z, and the next one, is, I guess, is going to be called Alpha, is what we thought we think we discovered. It's the Alpha generation. Five-year-olds already have a name. Alpha generation. Gen Z, your time is already up. <laughs> it's the alphas. But in regards to all that, and thinking about this whole story of Jonah and thinking about like leaving things. How I many if a generation and, and, and we leave as parents, as leaders, as grandparents, if we stop pursuing the word and pursuing praise, the next generation, we will leave them something that is dried up. 
And church, how many want to say today that we declare in Jesus' name that I'm going to stay in the word, I'm going to stay in praise, I'm going to stay in that, in that mode of, of giving God all the glory every single I want to be intentional about saying, thank you, Jesus, for my family. Thank you, Jesus, for my home. Thank you, Jesus, for my job. Thank you for the, my future job. If you're looking for a new job. All right. Unfortunately, Jonah left. And now the covering is gone. See, I believe that how many know that sometimes we deliberately will turn from God and we do we live in disobedience and we know we're disobeying God. And what happens is in Ruth and Naomi, the hand of God began to lift a little bit, the protection, the covering. And we see that with Jonah. God allowed him to go through the storm. God knew that someday he would go back to Nineveh. How many know God knew all this would happen already? He's the beginning and the end. But he allowed him to go through this storm to teach him a thing. How many, I, I sometimes, unfortunately, I learn my greatest lessons in life through storms. And I wish it wasn't so. I wish I didn't have to ever experience a storm in my life. And every day I was just totally obedient to God. But sometimes God will have to allow things to happen in our lives to allow us to trust in him fully. He doesn't cause a storm, but he allows a storm. So Jonah says, I'm not going. Verse 4, took me a while to get here, but thank you for being patient. You're lucky. I have to drive today to Tennessee, so I have to be really quick. <laughs> but if you want to come, we can make a way for you to come. I don't know. We'll, we'll make it happen. All right, verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind out to the sea. He's on the boat. He's leaving place he's called to go and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up then the mariners were afraid he's with some professional sailormen okay these guys are afraid the guys on the dead uh the deadliest catch boats yeah they're afraid too he's there they're afraid and every man cried out to his small g god and threw the cargo that was on the ship picture this this is like a hollywood movie right here we're not talking about they're on Lake Michigan. It's like, oh, it's a little bit rough out here. I mean, these people are just going crazy. They're throwing stuff overboard. They're like, we got we to gotta, we gotta bail or we're going under everything off this boat. They had to do this to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship, and he decided it's time to take a nap. Church, let's not be that person when there's a storm. How many know we have a storm in our culture right now called sin, called unbelief, called laziness, called, uh, right? Come on, somebody. A little bit like a, a, a Christianity that's a little bit soft, a little bit kind of uh, whatever. Church, we cannot be asleep on this one. We cannot sit this one out this time. Jesus Christ is coming again soon. We cannot sit it out. We cannot sit it out. We cannot be like Jonah on the bottom of the boat sleeping. Everyone else is trying to do their part to survive. We need all hands on deck. I think I'm in the right place. I feel like I have some of God's people in this place that are like, amen, amen, I'm with you. I know it. I feel it. All right. He's taking a nap, snoring, drooling, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but then the captain came to him. And the captain says, what do you mean? And he calls him a name. Sleeper. Hey, you sleeper. I believe that the enemy sometimes can say, hey, church, you're a sleeper. You're not a threat to me. 
Arise. But then the captain calls him by his identity. Remember, God's already said that you are a chosen person to go to my city. And now it's taking a, 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 a man, a, a captain to say, go call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we might may not perish. How many know? There are a, a, right now, let me give you a, a stat. How many like stats? I got a few stat people. Okay. How many like sports? Well, come on. I know there's more than that. Some of you guys are just like, everybody plays sports. Most people like stats. They're like, I'm batting 300. Right? I shot a 48 in golf or I don't know, whatever. Well, here's a stat for you. This generation right now that I believe, that what, what we're noticing in this generation called Gen Z, more than any other generation, they do not like gimmicks. They do not like name brand products. They, they don't trust a lot of things because they've been raised in a generation where there's credit card theft. There's all kinds of, so they're very cautious about that kind of stuff. Um, they also don't like um, phoniness. We have a generation that's a lot different than any generation the way they perceive life. They won't just do something because somebody says this is the thing. Believe it or not, these are pulled by, they pulled 100,000 students. This is a Pew Research or, or Barna. But on the other hand, so we're seeing a, 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 a shift in a generation that is drawn to supernatural things. We serve a supernatural God, don't we? So they're not drawn to boring, they, boring church is not interesting. It's not. We don't serve a boring God, do we? We serve an awesome God who's strong in power, who heals, who delivers, who does amazing things. He's a supernatural. So we need to make sure that we allow God to demonstrate who he is because that will draw in more people who are drawn to supernatural things. So because there's a supernatural uh, energy, we find that 28%, 28% of this new generation that was born between 1997 to 2015 or 2014, somewhere in that range. 28% of that generation now considers themselves atheist or agnostic. 29% of that generation considers themselves Christians. Folks, right now, in about a year or two, there will be more agnostic young people than there will be Christian young people. That right there should put a little bit of a lump in your throat saying we have to do something. We've been running the opposite way from God. But if we go back to Jesus, amen. How many know Nineveh seemed impossible? But God said that whole place is going to be saved. How many know sometimes we hear numbers, we hear stats, and people say that seems impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. Because what we're finding also, listen to this, of that 28%, what we're finding is that 28% are truly dedicated and sold out to Jesus Christ. So maybe God is cutting out the fat, cutting off the fat, or cutting off the toxic metal, or whatever you want to call it, the, the lukewarm church. Maybe we're seeing what it says in the Bible that in the last days there will be a great, there will be a, a separation, but also there will be a remnant, there will be a, a generation that would rise up that would be the real deal. Amen? And bring change that we need. So we as, as a people of God, a movement of God, we need to say, God, I need to live my life in obedience and not delayed obedience, disobedience or disobedience whatsoever. And I need to start leaving a mark on this world. Now, what I love about what God is doing in the last days, he's using all generations. He's using all generations. One of the greatest youth ministers that I believe that I know and, and 
in, in open Bible in the Assemblies of God, a guy by the name of Jeff Grinnell. Jeff Grinnell. How many know Pastor Jeff? Some of you young people might know Jeff. He's like 55 years old, and he still is like changing the lives of teenagers. How many know you're never too old? I've heard people in our church who are in their 20s and 30s and that will make comments about some of you in this room that are in your 90s. Come on, somebody. And they'll say, like, I really look up to that person because I see how dedicated they are to God. It doesn't matter. Age is not a thing. All right. I got to hurry up. All right. So the captain comes down. Arise, go to your God. Perhaps your God will consider us. Okay. Jonah, who's the big prophet of God, is asleep. And the prophet comes, and I mean, the captain comes and is like, get up. And verse 7, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. So now the, 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 the mariners, the sailors, are saying, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. Who's caused this storm? So they cast lots, and the lot fell on surprise. Jonah, they said to him, please tell us. Who's, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? And I'm sure they were right in his face, right? They were probably right in his grill. And just, what is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? Basically, who are you? We want to see your Facebook page, and we want to see what you're up to. <laughs> and what people are you? And what people are you? So, remember, you said, wait a minute. You said that you were a prophet when you got on this boat. And they're probably thinking, like, you don't seem like a prophet. You're not exactly what I picture as a prophet. You, you, you don't seem like it. I, I, like, I can almost imagine the conversation. Like, I remember selling you a ticket. And I, and I remember you telling me the story that God called you to go to Nineveh, but <laughs> it's just not your calling. How I many know some people are like, I think God called me. That's just not for me. How about when God calls you to something, he's going to bless it. You might feel unqualified. I can tell you right now there's many things I'm doing right now currently in my life that six months ago I never thought I would do, and I feel really unqualified. But God uses us when we feel unqualified, and he says, I will qualify you. Amen? I'm sitting in a boardroom all week with amazing leaders going like, I do not belong here. <laughs> and so God does that. And so... Verse 9, he said to them, I am a Hebrew. Now listen to this. I fear the Lord, God of heaven. And how many in this room want to say, like, really? I mean, you're talking good, but you ain't doing it. I fear God. I love God. Oh, I love Jesus. But they're like, but, but if he called you to go this way, why are you going that way? He knew what to say. So he said, I know the God who made the sea and the dry land. But, but, but Jonah knew the answer he gave him. And how many know, we've, we've all been to church a, a long enough time, most of us, that many of us know what to tell people what we think they want to hear. Amen? I mean, it's easy to kind of tell people, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great. Highly blessed. But inside your head, you're like thinking like, nobody likes me. I'm not good enough. They don't talk to me anymore. The pastor hasn't called me for a month. Or, or that person doesn't come to, and this is sometimes what a pastor is like, they don't come to anymore. Maybe they don't like my sermons, right? How I many know the enemy starts putting all these thoughts in our mind about who we are? And so, verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the, they knew it. These are guys who did not believe in God as far as 
our God, Jehovah, right? But they knew. How I many of we, we live in a world where people know, people who aren't even, who say they don't believe in God, but they have an inner something on the inside that knows that God is real. And when they see the church not being the church, I believe that people will get afraid. When the church starts looking like the world and we start living like the world, the world might start saying, like, we are in trouble. Because I don't know about you, but I, I, when I hung out with my friends, it was always nice to have, like, one or two friends that were, like, they would kind of talk sense into the rest of the group. Like, we would get this big idea to do something really crazy. And, and like, Pastor Josh Grimes would be always the culprit. Like, let's do this. And it was always nice to have that calm voice or someone say, let's not do that. That could get us in trouble. It was kind of comforting to know there's always somebody who had your back that was looking out for you. Come on, somebody, amen. Church, we need to be that, that person that when the world starts doing things, we need to say, no, no, no. If you go down that road, it's going to bring a, a destruction. If you, if, you stop, if you start looking at that stuff on your phone or your tablet or you start going to those places, I'm going to tell you as a friend, but somebody who loves you, it's going to destroy your life. We have to, as a generation, say, God, make me who you want me to be so that I can help other people find who they are supposed to be. All right, I'm going to get lost if I don't keep reading the Bible here. So the men are afraid, as we read in verse 10. They're really afraid. Why have you done this? Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous, stormy, blustery, turbulent. You know what I mean. Jonah, you're the cause of this. What should we do to cause this storm to stop? Verse 12, and he said to them, he's changing now. He's like, pick me up. This is an interesting conversation. I'd like to be there. That would have been interesting and really, really scary and strange. Pick me up and throw me out into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know, come on, somebody, now he's starting to, there's a repentance here, right? How many know there has to be a point in life where we say, I know, I am I, I, it's, my, it's me. I'm the one. I, I think sometimes it's easy to blame other people. Uh, you know, this victim mentality, like, uh, it's their fault. If I had a better job, if I had more money, if I was better looking, right? But there comes a point in life where you say, God, me, change me. I'm the one. I, I, I can't, Heather can't change me. You can't change me. At the end of the day, I have to ask God to change me. If you ever get married, and we had a great conference yesterday about all these things and marriage was involved and all, it's all wrapped up in my mind. But people get married and they're like, good, I'm married. Now I can change them. <laughs> good luck. I'll see you in my office in two months. It's not going to work. You have to change yourself first. If we all work on ourselves, come on, church. If we all work on ourselves and we don't worry about what everybody else is doing wrong, what everybody else is, if we just say, God, work on me. If all of us started asking God to do that, we're going to see amazing things in this place. Change me. So pick me up. Throw me in the sea. Jonah's saying, I'm the problem. I have a problem. And so Jonah's now waking up, isn't he? He was asleep. He's waking up. And, and, and he's starting to see that there's a problem. And his choice is not only affecting him, it's affecting other people around him. And I believe there's moments in our life when we begin to spiritually wake up. And you begin to realize my decisions that I made in life not only affect me, but they affect people around me. 
My decisions affect my family, my loved ones, my, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, people who know me as a Christian. How many know what I'm talking about? And we begin to realize, we begin to wake up, we say, I can't keep living like this because it's not just hurting me, it's hurting everybody. And God is calling us to change a, a generation, to change people, to, to lead them to the cross, not to push them away from the cross. And I think sometimes our testimony, we don't realize how powerful our testimony is. We don't understand how powerful our words are, come on, and how there's power, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And sometimes we don't realize that when we say certain things, we could actually be pushing the people away from the cross. Because we might be the only Bible people ever read. Most people aren't reading their Bible. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know if that's, from my conversations with people in the world, People I run into, they don't have really deep conversations about the Lord. They can talk all day about their favorite, you know, musician or, 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 or website or sporting team. But when you start, how many, come on, right? So what do we have? We have our life as a living word. You might not be a Bible scholar, and that's okay. You might not be a person who reads all day. That's okay. But what you do have, you have the spirit of the living God inside of you, and we can change people's lives by just encouraging them, by being, being, being real and authentic. Amen? We understand that Jonah here, he's like, throw me in the sea. It's my fault. And so, okay, here's what, plump, plop, you go. <laughs> right? And so... I wonder, uh, just, uh, did they like swing him? One, two, two and a half. You know, did they mess with Jonah? How did they? Well, we understand some of that here in a minute. He says on the front, verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return land. So they're trying to get back to the, the sea. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempest against them. So the storm actually gets stronger. Remember back in Jonah 1.5, we read Jonah 1.5, when the storm first came up, they were praying to their gods, right? It's interesting. When the storm gets stronger, guess what people do? They return to the living God. You know that 28%, and, and, and just uh, this little bit of note for, news for you. Um, you know what generation? The, so the, the, uh, the baby boomers are like, 12% agnostic atheists. Do you realize that the generation before them is now up to 13%? And then the millennials. So it's not like every generation is going like this. There's been a little bit of this. And, and so what we're seeing here is a, a world today that we start saying, like, these people will never change. There is revival happening in the world right now in places like China and India and Muslim nations and Buddhist places. I'm, I'm serious. God is doing things. And sometimes we thought God can never, we should never put a limit on God. <laughs> and so these individuals, these sailors, these hardened mariners who did not believe in God are now doing what? Verse 14. What a great first prayer. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord, our God. We pray. Oh, Lord, this, this sounds like a bunch of people who have been to church before. I don't know. But we pray, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with the innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, have done as it has pleased you. Now church breaks out on this boat. Even though Jonah wasn't doing what he should be doing, God still used him. How many know sometimes God will still use us even when we feel like we don't, we're not doing right? It tells me God is always in control. So they picked up Jonah, they counted the three, and they heaved him, and he hit the side, and they had to do it again. 
<laughs> Sorry, I have a, a really weird imagination. So they picked up Jonah, they threw him in the sea, and the sea seized from its raging. Think about that moment. I, I, I know I stop a lot, but I really like to capture this story. They throw him in the water. It probably made a sound like, I don't know, that's not very loud. Splash! Because <laughs> when the sea stops, it probably was hardly even a sound. Can you imagine the conversation on that boat? They're like, this God is supernatural. And so now as they're in the boat probably like celebrating, we're going to survive. Jonah is sinking. And the sea stops raging. And then the men feared. Well, at first they feared the Lord exceedingly, which they're celebrating, but they're probably also like, whoa, what is happening? And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. They didn't get married. But they took... <laughs> But right off the bat, it didn't take them long to say, God, you are in control. And they, they, they bowed to serve him. Verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for how many days and how many nights? Does that sound like a foreshadow to something else? He was in the belly of the fish for three days. And th the Bible is amazing. It's full of foreshadows. Right here we see a foreshadow of Jesus who was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. And so Jonah is in the belly. How many know God could have used a goldfish? I don't care. People are like, what kind of fish? It doesn't matter to me. It could have been a largemouth bass if I, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> God can do anything, right? But he, a large fish engulfs Jonah. And there he is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 2 verse 1, look what it says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you, say it with me, you heard my voice. Now, he's in the belly of the fish. It had a smell terrible, dark and nasty and bile and juices. Come on, ugh. You ever found yourself in a situation, you're like, what did I do to get myself here? It's amazing how one or two decisions in life can change the course of a life. I've seen young people in, in youth ministry and, and throughout my years and, and, and adult alike that, that were going on a, a pretty good course. And for some reason, they just decided to leave the presence of God, to leave the word, to leave the praise. They left and they went their own way out of disobedience. It's amazing how they found themselves in the belly of a mess. But aren't you thankful we serve a God that even in your worst mess, even in your worst situation, you can cry out to God and God will hear you. See, here he is in the belly. See, God still sees him as a man of God. He's like, I still have a purpose for you. The people in Nineveh still need you. But here you are. How did you end up in a fish? Think about that day. How would you like to call home, babe? Um, I got news for you. God called me to go on the prayer truck, but I, I, I ended up in, in Lake Michigan somehow. And this humongous salmon, I don't know how you would call from a belly of a salmon or a sturgeon. But that probably would not go over real well. First of all, you'd be a crazy person, wouldn't you? Jonah is that guy. This happened, church. This happened. He's in the belly. What happens now? He begins to pray. How many know there's nothing when you have those situations? Pray. 
I got to finish. Verse 5, then the waters surrounded me even to my soul, right? His soul, his emotions, his will, his decisions. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around. Some people hate any weeds. He's, he's covered in weeds. And I went down to the mornings of the mountains. The earth was in its bar. You hear his despair right here. The earth with its bars closed me forever, behind me forever. Yet, you have brought me up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. Hallelujah. Is there anyone in this room can say, God, thank you for bringing me out of that pit. Maybe you at one point in your life were in a pit of depression, a pit of fear, a pit of anxiety, a pit of sin, a pit of addiction. And you can see her today and say, if it hadn't been for the Lord, that whole situation might have chewed me up and pretty much took my life over. But it's, thank God we serve a God that says, I can take you out of your pit. Amen. And you might be here today and... Like I said, full disclosure, full transparency, we have to come to God and say, God, this is it. I mean, I'm in the pit. So here he is. Now he's got to think about what happens next, God. He's still in the belly. But praise God, he's starting to believe. Verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish. And the fish, you can use whatever word you want there. Keep it clean. <laughs> right? Vomited spewed, puked, hurled. Anybody else? Am I making you feel sick? You guys ready to have like a hot dog fundraiser right now? (laughs) Who wants a fish dinner right now? He puked Jonah onto the ground. I'm sure Jonah was like, covered in fish stuff and seaweed. It's not a pretty sight. He was probably, you know, coming out. Have you ever seen the Count of Monte Cristo when he finally makes it to the sea? And he's like, the, the pirates start making fun of him. He looks terrible. Jonah, he's all, he's probably all like, you ever put your water, hand in water too long? It gets all like funny looking and soggy. Jonah probably is like white and soggy. Jonah 3, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. If you're visiting here today, this is how I am. <laughs> And usually not this long. i got to finish. Because Jonah 3, and I, I, I promise this is the last page. I have to read these verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Somebody say, second time. God sometimes will speak to us once. We disobey. We serve a God that says, I'm going to speak to you again. Guess what? Let's obey. He does. God loves us so much. He'll speak to us again. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach the message. He, here he is. Same story. Same message. So Jonah, this time, arose. And went to Nineveh. Praise God. He learned the hard way. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey. As we saw, Jonah began to enter the city on their first day's walk. Then he cried out. And he said, you have 40 days and Nineveh shall be overcome. There's a whole other sermon here about how sometimes God has a limited time offer. Sometimes God wants us to speak to somebody, and that window of opportunity might only be for a short period of time. There's people that you might come in contact with in life, and you might not only know them for a few weeks, a few months, or a few years. God says there's a window of time that we have to reach some people. Amen? That's why every day we need to be very intentional with our life. Say, God, because today might be the one time that I get a chance to witness to this person. So there's a limited time offer for the people of Nineveh. You have 40 days. So he does that. He's there. He, he, he says, God will restore you. God will forgive you. And that's how God works. 
It says in Jonah 3.10, and I'm skipping a little bit here, but when God saw that what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, remember these are evil people, evil, but they heeded the word of the Lord. They stopped their ways. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. The question I want to leave us with, would you stand with me? And we'll close this up. First, I want you to understand, Jonah's disobedience did not change God's plan for his life. Hallelujah. I received that today. How about you? Yeah, I've been disobedient myself many times. I'm so thankful I serve a God that says, it's still not going to change my plan for your life. Nineveh still needed to hear the word of the Lord. They still needed a preacher. And when Jonah finally got his heart right, God put him back on the job. Maybe, maybe there's somebody here today, you, you, you know God's called you to certain things, but maybe you've run a little bit away. God says, I still have a plan for you. You're still the person for the job. You have the voice. You have the influence. Everyone in this room, you have a, 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 a level of influence. To me, influence is a big deal. It's, be, it's more important than titles or names or how long I've been saved or how much I know. Influence means trust. When I influence people, usually there's a trust thing. Our, our, our children's teachers, our youth pastors, our young adults leaders, they've all been uh, anointed and uh, also approved by the leadership of this church because we understand that they are people of influence, meaning that they can be trusted. And I believe that you are a person that we can trust. And what I mean by trust, we're talking about people who are lost and going to hell. That is huge. God said, I am trusting my church of 2019 to be the church that I called it to be. God is trusting us, church. How I many? that's a big deal. God said, I'm trusting you. With, if you've had kids, God's like, I trust you with your children. If you're married, I trust you with your marriage. If you have uh, a spouse, if you have uh, friends in school, high school, junior high right now, whatever it is, God said, I am trusting you to get the job done. And I want to be a person of influence. And I believe that you want to be a person of influence. I don't want to be, how many know, I don't want to be influenced by the world anymore. I hope that, I hope that tomorrow, if you go out and you're hanging out with 15 people and they're all, who knows, say something, they're all doing something bad. I don't want to point out one thing because there's a lot. They're all, you know, they're living bad. I pray that you're the person that can influence the 15 instead of being influenced and joining the group. And if you can't change their hearts, then it's, that's when you say, okay, God, then I need to move on. Amen. You, you give the word. You give the message. But you don't stay in the thing. If people don't want to receive it, then you say, okay, I gave you the word. God said, go to Nineveh. Give them the word. They got 40 days. If they don't change, it's on them. But you have to give them the word. So what we can understand is once we give some of the word, then we can say, now it's not on me anymore. But if we're silent, we carry the burden of what we didn't say. It's just making sense. All right. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And just for a moment, let's examine our, maybe our, our standing right now and our journey and our, our, our motivations in life. And, and asking God, simply saying, God, make me. 
I, I think that's something we can pray every single day. God, make me a better employee. Make me a better friend. Make me, make me. It's amazing. When, when you give your life fully to God and you begin to understand how he is the potter and he begins to mold and shape you the way that he created there's a freedom in that. There's a freedom in rejecting sin and turning to God. There's a freedom that comes in that. And there is a bondage that comes when we disobey and we, and we accept and we start deliberately living in sin. How I many know there's a bondage in that? And God has not called us to live in fear. God has not called us to live lives. God has called us, listen, Christians should be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Because we have been given the greatest gift. And I want every person saved and not saved to understand what it feels like to wake up in the morning, even if you don't have everything going great in your work or your car broke down, but you can still say, praise God, I'm still happy because I know who's for me. You might be in the belly of a situation. You find yourself in a place. It's your time to say, God, I'm sorry. Change me. Use me. I want to be obedient in this thing. You know, let me say, repentance, we see Jonah repented. Repentance is not just saying I repent, but it's literally like a U-turn. Like I began to make some strategic changes in my life. I had a friend, and I'm, I'm going to close with this little story. A friend of mine who's a pastor who told me, this is years ago, he confided some things in me. He's in Texas now. Nobody knows him, but... So if I share this, that's why. Uh, he confided in me. He, he's been married for several years, has small kids, but he's like, Pete, I got a major problem with pornography. And we prayed together. And his wife knew about it. And I was his, I guess his mentor. And what they did was so cool. We didn't, I didn't sit there and say, like, shame, shame. He and his wife said, we're just going to get rid of all the computers in our house. And listen, this is a true story. And about a year later, he said, I have no desire anymore. That giant has been defeated. He's pastoring in Texas. Heather probably knows it. <laughs> He's pastoring in Texas. And listen, so I'm just, I want to want you to understand this. Giants creep up in our, in our lives. But let me say this. And I think I said this this summer yesterday. We don't say, they are not barriers, church. They are obstacles. What do you do with an obstacle? go all around it, you go over it, barrier, when we say, oh no, this, this thing is a barrier, I'll never get over it, God says, no, 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 it's an obstacle, but you can get over it, you can get through it, and God says, I'm going to use you, don't let that stop you, that does not define you, that is not who you are, amen, and we have to say, God, I thank you that, you, that's not who I am, so you might be in that fish's belly right now, and guess what God said, if you just say, God, change my heart, Use me, forgive me, guide me. And I want to turn now. I want to go the opposite direction that, that I was and go back to where you called me. Father, now as we go from this place, Lord, I, I pray that this word would just settle in and sink in. Lord, it would encourage us and bless us and that we would leave with the confidence knowing that, God, you are for us. You are not against us. You fight for us. You have a calling for us, God, that we can enjoy life to its fullest. And in those days and we just don't feel like marching and moving and doing stuff, God, that you will lift us and, and pick us up and you will keep pushing us forward. And Lord, I pray for any person in this house today.
that they are beating themselves up for things that they did. Father, I pray that that would be released in Jesus' name. Father, that those sins in the past that are under the blood, that they would, those files would be burned up. God, that they would be set free from feeling like they will never be able to, to get over that situation that happened maybe years ago. God, you took Jonah, and God, you set him free from the fish, and you used him to bring revival to, to a whole city. His name, he was not Jonah the, the, the sinner. He was Jonah the prophet. And thank you, God, that you've called us as your sons and daughters. Bless each one as we go from this place, God, to remember all week that we are called, we are chosen. Make us. Make us who you want to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.